Well, good morning, everybody. I am John, and, and uh, Sue and I have the privilege of being founding pastors here, and we love this community, and we're so glad you're here today. And if you are here for the first time, thanks so much for coming. I hope you have a great experience with us. And I guess I need to put my glasses on because I'm old and need them. Uh, anyway, Sue and I have had a number of special days lately that we're celebrating. We just celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary on September 21. That's a yay. And we celebrated my 73rd birthday on October 1. Now, I realize I do not look 73. Please don't tell me how old you think I am. I asked the kids in kids' church that a while back, and one little boy said, 81? And another girl said, 92? I said, okay, that's enough. Another question. Anyway, but I'm glad to be alive. And in a little over two weeks, we will celebrate the 32nd anniversary of River Heights Vineyard. We, uh, you know, Sue and I and a team of people came, and we did our first public meeting November 4th, 1990, in the Simley High School Auditorium. And so uh, we're, we're excited for that. We're grateful for those who helped us start this wonderful community and for all of you who are helping us grow. You know, God has changed so many lives with his generous love over these many years, including Sue and mine. And he's continuing to do that because he loves people and he wants to make our lives better. He wants to rescue us. I remember praying in my dorm room in Moorhead, Minnesota when I was a super confused, broken 19-year-old kid and saying, Jesus, my sister and her friends say that you've changed their lives and they're much better people than I am. So, if you could change my life for the better, I'm going to give it to you, and I will do everything you tell me to do for the rest of my life. And Jesus has kept his part of the bargain, and I'm trying. <laughs> I, I don't always get it right the first time, but I, I keep, we keep walking together. And so we're grateful for that. So thank you for your faithfulness and generosity. We are in a series here where we're preaching through what we call Jesus Stories, and we're specifically looking at Jesus' encouragement and his teaching on money. And I have been so encouraged these last couple weeks by the messages that Pete and Scott have shared. Pete spoke about, from Mark 12, on how God is the ultimate owner of all things and the source of all generosity, and that he gives generously to us so that we can pass it on and use what he gives us to be generous to others and do good in the world and honor him, Remember where Jesus said, let your light so shine before people so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? One of those good works that people can see is our generous giving. We'll be talking about that this morning. And last Sunday from Chicago, online, so God bless you online folks, uh, we, Sue and I watched uh, the message in the service here, and I was so touched by Scott Oakman's talk on how Jesus loved and welcomed an outsider and an outcast named Zacchaeus. Any of you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? I felt like that so much of my life, and I thank God that he rescued me and brought me into his people, and thank you for uh, welcoming me uh, and Sue and our family here. Uh, Jesus' love changed Zacchaeus' life, and Zacchaeus responded really well, and he became a wonderful 
infinitely generous giver, and his giving changed other people's lives. That's what God intends, is to be so good and generous to you, and then it would spill, as it were, off of you to other people. Now, my experience these 54 years of following Jesus is that, is that the Christian life can best be understood as a journey. You know, I took a step of faith when I was 19, but I have taken many steps of faith in the last 54 years. And it's, it's, it's a journey that we're walking on where we follow Jesus with others and we learn from him as we walk through life. So at 19, I was learning to follow Jesus as a single guy. Six years later, Sue and I get married, and so we both began to learn to follow Jesus as a couple. And then a couple years later, a child came, and then a couple more kids came, and then another child, and eventually six. And so we've been learning how to follow Jesus as a family. And then those children all grew up, and they moved out. And so Sue and I were learning how to follow Jesus as empty nesters. You might ask, well, how long did it take you to get used to being empty nesters? I don't know, so was it three or four hours? Anyway. (laughs) But then kids came back and lived with us again, and and, uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Now we get grandkids to come over uh, and and love on us and we on them. Uh, And then now we're learning how to follow Jesus as people in this wonderful stage called retirement. I'm still learning to figure that out. But, But this is what life is. We get to walk with Jesus and each other on a journey, and we grow, and he teaches us along the way. So journey is a key word for today. I want to share a little bit of my journey toward becoming a more generous person, and in some of our family story, River, the journey of River Heights on growing in generosity. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll start that. Jesus, thank you. As we've already prayed, you are so generous. We're grateful God, for giving us Jesus, Jesus, for giving us your life, and then for sending the Holy Spirit to make that all real to us and to empower us to become generous people like you. Thank you that your plan is that we will become completely like you one great day, and we can grow every day to be more like you. We want to grow today, Jesus. So by your Spirit, meet us now as we look at the Bible. In your name we pray. Amen. So my journey for generosity is... Um, some of you know this, many of you don't, but I grew up in a family where money was always tight. We were a one-income family in uh, west-central Minnesota, a small community. My dad was a school teacher and a super school superintendent. And when I heard my parents argue, they didn't argue all the time, but they did argue. And whenever I heard them argue, it seemed like it was always about money, where it went, why there wasn't more left at the end of the month. Now, we always had food and clothing and a safe place to live, and I'm really grateful I had great parents. Uh, they actually, interestingly, were, grew up in single-parent households during the Great Depression. So they learned to work really hard and be really responsible, but there was always this insecurity and uncertainty about would we have enough. And so uh, I felt that vibe or that fear in my mind all the time growing up. Now, they didn't want that. I'm not at all, but, but it is my experience. And so the fear of not having enough led to a lot of negative things in my life, anxiety, Anger, overworking, I often had two jobs, sometimes three. Uh, Catastrophic thinking, if things were a little bit bad, zoom, they were just terrible. And semi-regular energetic discussions with Sue. You know what those energetic discussions are like if you're a spouse or a good friend, right? About where's our money going or where did it go? You know, I had plans for that. Well, I'm sorry, but our kids needed shoes. And then I would 
Yes, they did. Thank you very much for being generous. Uh, it was a learning experience for both of us. And God has met us time after time after time, providing for our family, teaching us how to communicate about money, how to manage it, how to enjoy it, even now in our retire retirement situation. I want you to know there's great hope for every one of you in this area. You can be free from a scarcity mindset. You can learn to have and live out of an abundance mindset like Jesus taught. If God can free me from a scarcity mindset and help me, he can help anyone. Now, God has used the generosity, that's a little bit of my story, but God has used the generosity of this community, your generosity, to encourage me, to stimulate me, and hopefully... Our generosity has stimulated yours. So uh, as I get older, I realize how important it is to know our family story. I'm still learning my family background with my two sisters, and it's helping me make more sense of my own life. I want to tell you a little bit of our family story at River Heights. Realize some of you are brand new here today, but uh, please listen in to this story. God has been doing wonderful things all of these years. So as we started as a team, we met at Simley High School, their old auditorium, Nothing like the new fancy-dancy one they have now, but it was decent, it was a good place. And so we met there for almost two years. The school was great. Superintendent wanted us there. The school board voted for us to be there. The janitors loved us. Of course, they got double time for working on Sundays, uh, but they loved us. In fact, the head janitor's wife came to all the services, and he would come whenever he had a break on Sunday. Uh, interestingly, full circle, our daughter Carrie now is on the school board in Invergrove and doing a great job, and we're, we're thankful for the school. But two years, that was kind of when they wanted us to leave. So we found a place, a shopping center down the street, where the beer stoop, German restaurant, and Carboni's Pizza still is. And so we got a good rent deal and began to rent there. We realized, though, that the whole bottom was not remodeled, so we needed to do that. So this early, young group of followers of Jesus, we shared the vision, and people gave $75,000 to build out that lower level, uh, along with the regular giving they were already doing. So we met there for the very brief time of 13 years, uh, remodeled actually twice. Now there's a church been meeting there for the last 16 years. It's amazing. While we were meeting there, people would come to me and say, you know, we need a, we, we, we need a, a place of our own that we can develop and reach more people. Uh, we would like to give to a building fund. Do we have a building fund? I said, we can have a building fund if you want to give to it. So we started one. And in that process, people gave 70000 for this little building fund, which helped us when we moved here to do some of the early operating. One wonderful man named Gene came to me. He was probably my age now. And he said, John, God is going to change the lives of so many people over these coming years. Mary and I want to invest in that now. Gene and Mary have been with Jesus for many years, but they invested in you because they loved Jesus and they loved the church. They loved River Heights. They were so great to my mom, who was here for the last three years of her life, and of course she came to Jesus in her late 80s. They loved her, prayed for her, listened to her. So in uh, 2005, we bought this property, a wonderful little 60 by 60 box. <laughs> which had no space to do any kids' ministry at all. And guess what? We had kids. So we did it all across the street at Death Beshley for Children. And we had 90 adults and 45 kids that were part of the group then. 
and together we cast a vision. We need to build education and kids space. And our 90 adults and 45 kids gave $562,000 over three to four years. It was a miracle. It was like crazy. God was so saying, I'm with you. I'm going to back you. I'm going to provide for you. And we grew, and we grew, and we grew. And then a few years later, Pete Benedict, our lead pastor now, had the vision. You know, we love, we love food here at River Heights. Anybody notice that? We love to eat. A lot of you love to cook. I love it a little bit, but I really love to eat. Anyway, so, and Jesus did so much of his ministry around food. So Pete said, why don't we serve the community with food? Well, to do that, we needed to put in a commercial kitchen so we could serve the community up to code. And we didn't have much space to welcome, so we needed to build a fireside lounge. So the growing group of River Heights gave $622,000 to do that. The kitchen, fireside lounge, remodel the auditorium again, and pay down our debt. That was incredible. And so we grew and grew and grew. But we'd grow, and then we'd kind of slide back. We'd grow and kind of slide back. Pete was on a mission trip with Steve Nicholson in Turkey because we were, have some people from the church that were planting churches in Turkey and told Steve our story. And Steve said, well, you're a, you're, you do more ministry as a small church than any church I know. You're a healthy church, but you have a capacity problem. Pete said, explain. You don't have enough room for the people God wants to bring. And people feel it when they come. They need some space. So you need to make some more room. So Pete came back and shared that with us. We all prayed. And then we did uh, launch the Building a Community of Hope in 2017. And people are still giving to that today. And our now bilingual community gave $881,000. Many of you were part of that so that we could have this auditorium and the build-out kids space and Lavinia. So now we have four services on Sunday, two Spanish-speaking, two English-speaking, because of your generosity. Now, I know not all of you are number people like I am, but if you are, if you add those three numbers together, 562, 622, 881, you'll realize that over the last 16 years, we as a community have given over $2 million for building additions. That's incredible. Give yourself a hand. And that's in addition to the regular giving to make sure the lights are on, that the mortgage is paid, that people on staff are cared for, that ministry happens to all of the ages. I want you to know this story because you're part of it. And notice that every addition to our building has been made to make room for more people, to experience God's love. Remember what our purpose is? It's to help a growing number of people. Love God, love people, and change the world. We are doing that, and we can continue to do that even more. Paul tells the Corinthians, <coughs> he said, you are a generous people. I want to encourage you to excel even more in generous giving. So I'm speaking to people that are already generous, and I know it, and God knows it. I want to encourage us to we can be even more generous. So we're going to listen to one of Jesus' teachings about money from Luke 12. This Chapter is part of the middle chapter of Luke's gospel from chapters 9 to 19. It's Scott Oakman's preached from Luke 18 and 19 last week. This is a unique section to Luke, and it's where Jesus teaches the most about money and possessions. It's his journey where he leads the disciples from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. So we're going to watch just a little short video from the Bible Project, my favorite new Bible toy, to give you a context for this. So here's the video. 
The Gospel According to Luke. In the first video, we explored Luke's portrayal of John the Baptist and Jesus as the fulfillment of the story of Israel and of God's promises told in the Old Testament scriptures. We then watched Jesus launch his mission and bring the good news of God's kingdom to the poor among Israel, people of low social status and also people who are outsiders. And Jesus taught that his kingdom is upside down. It's a reversal of all of our common social values. This section culminated with Luke showing us how Jesus was a new Moses about to bring a new exodus by his death in Jerusalem. And so we come to the large center section of the book where Jesus leads his newly formed Israel on a journey to Jerusalem. This part of the book consists mainly of Jesus' teaching and parables given on the road to the various people he encounters, mainly his growing group of disciples. And in this way, Luke portrays following Jesus as a journey. It's something you do where you learn as you go along life's path. So first, Jesus invites his disciples into his mission as he sends a wave of them to go ahead of him, announcing God's kingdom. So being a disciple right from the start, it means participating in Jesus' kingdom mission, making it your own. And as Jesus' disciples come back, he then starts to give various teachings about prayer, about trusting in God's provision. It's actually in these chapters of Luke that Jesus talks more about money, possessions, and generosity than anywhere else in his teachings. If following him is truly like being on the road, it should produce this minimalist mentality, creating a freedom from possessions that allows for radical generosity. Another key theme in these chapters is Jesus' continued mission to the poor. So as he travels, he keeps forming his new Israel, and he encounters all these people who are sick or blind. He meets Samaritans who are ancient enemies of the Jewish people, and famously Zacchaeus, a Jewish man, but who heads up tax collection for the Romans. All of these social outsiders meet Jesus, and they're transformed by the encounter, and so they join his kingdom community, which Jesus describes as a great banquet party. He is here to seek and save the lost, and so he's celebrating when people discover the mercy of God. But not everybody at the party is happy. Luke includes multiple stories of Jesus at banquets with Israel's leaders, and these all become heated debates where Jesus confronts their pride and hypocrisy. And so these contrasting banquet parties, they're captured most memorably in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. So a father had two sons, and one foolishly ran away and squandered his inheritance. But he comes back eventually repentant, and his father forgives him, and he throws this huge party to celebrate my son who was lost but now is found. But the older brother, who never left his father, he's angry, and he resents his father's generosity to this undeserving son. In this famous parable, Jesus is explaining his whole kingdom mission to these leaders. His parties represent God's joyous welcome of every kind of person into his family. The only entry requirement is humility and repentance. And so it highlights the tragedy of Israel's leaders who reject Jesus and his upside-down kingdom community. And this resistance to Jesus, it ramps up, and he finally arrives in Jerusalem for Passover. As he nears the city, he's weeping. His disciples are hailing him as the Messianic king, but Israel's leaders are denouncing him. And he knows that their rejection of his kingdom of peace is going to set Israel on a road of resistance and rebellion against the Roman Empire. It will bring the city's downfall. And it's Thank you. There's uh, four, four other minutes there, and there's many other wonderful videos on the BibleProject.org site. 
And I would I'd encourage you, I, whenever I'm going to start reading a book now, usually I go and find the introduction. So I get like the big, wonderful picture. Helps me make sense of individual chapters and things I'm reading. I think you'd benefit. A couple things that I noticed on the video. Number one, be, being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, means actively participating in Jesus' kingdom mission and making it your own. That's from the very beginning. And this goes back all the way to creation where God made human beings in his image and said, uh, I want you to rule, which means care for, develop, uh, all of creation and all of the animals. So we, God intended for you and I always to be, as it were, his, his conduit to work in the world. And Jesus continues that. And he sends them out to announce the kingdom, to heal the sick, to cast out evil spirits. Your generous living and generous giving really does change the world. Now, when the disciples return from doing this ministry of the kingdom, then he teaches them. And he teaches them surprise like prayer. So my experience is, as I'm learning to serve Jesus, uh, that's when I'm open to learning more about Jesus. Now, I came to Jesus at 19, and the week after I came to Jesus, one of the guys working with me said, John, you should start an action group. And I said, what the heck's an action group? Well, it's a small group where you get around, you read the Bible, you talk about it, you pray for each other, you encourage each other to follow Jesus. And I said, there's only one problem. I've only read two chapters of the whole Bible. And he said, well, what are they? He said, well, John 1, John 2. He said, those are great chapters. Have your friends read more? I said, eh, I don't think my friends have. Anyway, he said, so you're a little bit ahead. This is a leadership secret. Don't be 100 miles ahead of the people you're leading. Just be just like a foot ahead. So they can see you, and they'll see what you're going through and how you are learning to follow Jesus as you go through that, because they want to be part of that. So many of you are already involved in a number of things here, maybe more than one, but if you haven't found a place to serve yet, I'd encourage you, ask God for that and try some things. And, uh, you know, you can put that on your connection card, and believe me, somebody will get in touch with you anyway, because it'll be good for you, and you'll learn. So they learned about prayer. Huh, surprise, in the Fireside Lounge that we all spend money to buy and build, uh, we'll have 24 hours of prayer this weekend. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have a chance to teach a little bit and lead some prayer. Love to have you join me. Sue's going to be there. Sandy's going to be there. A lot of you are going to be there. But if you haven't signed up yet, please do. It's a wonderful opportunity to experience God together. So Jesus taught them about prayer. I learned to become a leader. Holy cow, I needed help. I still need help. I pray because I need help, right? Don't you? Uh, and he taught them about God's generous provision. They could really trust, trust that God would provide what they needed. All right, let's look at Luke 12 and one of Jesus' core teachings on money, verses 22 to 20, 34. In the first part of Luke 12, he's taught them, he's warned them up against greed, which is one of the generosity killers. The other generosity killer that I've experienced is worry. And so he wants to help us grow out of that. So Jesus says this, turning to his disciples, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. And look at the ravens. Now it's interesting Luke picks ravens. On the hierarchy of birds in Israel, ravens were at the very bottom. They were the least valuable birds. That's what Jesus references. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are 
far more valuable to him than any birds. I think he means us to do this literally. Look at the birds. Now, Sue particularly loves birds, and actually, about 30, 40 years ago, he gave me a birthday present of a bird book, uh, which I didn't really open very much, which disappointed her. But I have looked at it since. Uh, we now have bird feeders on our windows, and you've heard me reference Carl, our friendly cardinal, that comes and bangs on our windows regularly. We all, he's now been joined by Billy the Blue Jay, and they come regularly every day, and they're banging on our windows eating. And I actually turn and look, because I remember this story from Jesus where he says, look at the birds. God is caring for them and feeding them. Now, yes, he's feeding them through Sue, who's buying bird seed and putting it in there, but God is feeding them. He cares about all of creation. Now, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? If worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? Look at the lilies. Now, you could look at lilies, or maybe today, look at the trees. I was noticing the one tree at the corner as you drive in the property. That was bought for us by the Burnsville Church in honor of my mom going to be with Jesus. It touches me. It's all red and brilliant. It's a brilliant uh, maple tree. Look at the trees. God cares about trees. If you want to know more about trees, talk to Sue. She's been reading up a lot on trees and how wonderful trees are and how they communicate. Jesus says they don't work or make their own clothing, but Solomon in all of his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully about flowers or trees that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? I don't know if you've ever had God ask you that question. I've had him ask me that question a few times. <laughs> and thank God uh, that he's helped me grow in faith. Don't be concerned about what to eat, what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God and above all else. I think it's interesting here. Jesus is saying, don't worry. Does anybody here know how to worry? Anybody here? I'm, I'm, really, good. I'm really good at it. If you want some help, I can give you some tips. <laughs> Basically saying, use the same mechanism you use to worry, but just focus on my kingdom and my goodness. Instead of obsessing about scarcity, begin to meditate on the abundance and the goodness of God. It's the same process. We just turn it. You know, we, uh, I don't know about you, my mind never stays in neutral. It's either moving toward a really good direction or a slightly less good direction. And I want to keep moving toward a good direction. That's what he means, I think, when he says, seek the kingdom of God. He will give you everything you need. Don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Look at this passage. See how many times Jesus references God's giving to us. He's caring for us. He's loving us. And now because God is this good, this generous, cares about every detail of your life and all creation, then you and I can do this, what's coming next in 33. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. We can receive from God, and we then can be generous and give to others. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. The purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. For wherever your treasure is, there will your heart also be. So my friend Gene that I referenced, he knew this. He's, you know, he said he knew that I'm, I'm getting older every day, 
and I want to use the resources God's given me really well. So I want to invest them in what's important to God, the poor and the hungry and the oppressed, God's people. And so Jean and Mary gave generously, and we are some of the beneficiaries of that. You and I can give generously, and people all over the world can benefit. You know, Jesus so wants you and I to live out of an abundance mindset. It's interesting that how did, how did Jesus develop an abundance mindset? You're probably going to say, John, he's Jesus. He's just good at everything. Well, it is true, but Jesus is really human, and he grew up. Who do you think taught him that God was good and generous and gracious and would always provide? I think Mary did. I think his stepdad, Joseph, did. They brought him to synagogue regularly where he heard the Old Testament taught and explained, and he learned about the goodness of God, that God created the world full of abundance, and that God continues to care for the world, birds and flowers and trees and every animal. Psalm 104 says, they all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. Carl and Billy, the Blue Jay, they come and gather every day at our house. You open your hand to feed them, speaking of God here. They're richly satisfied. God is an open-handed God. And, he, and, and, and as you and I open our hands to receive from him, we're also able to give generously so other people can. Jesus immersed himself in the great story of God in Scripture. I would encourage you to do the same. You can use the Bible Project to help you. You can use all kinds of things. But immerse yourself in the great story of God, and you will be set free from a scarcity mindset, always believing there's never going to be enough. God's not good. He's not going to care for me. You will learn to believe more and more and more, God is good. And in the times where it's difficult, when you're at the, kind of the lower spot, you can say, well, Lord, you've been good to me my whole life. I'm going to trust you right now. I don't know quite how I'm going to come up out of this, but I know you're going to bring me up. Immerse yourself in the story of God. Immerse yourself in the community of God because we help each other. There are times where Sue and I have been in the low spot. Other people have come and they've helped us. Helped us. And then we're in the up spot and we can help others. That's what community is to be. Here's a quote that I think describes the River Heights community accurately. It's from Steve Atkinson, again, of the Bible Project. He says, generosity is a rebellious act against our culture. By it, we say no to a scarcity mindset and yes to Jesus, who says we are enough and we have enough. And this allows God's grace to flow freely into our lives and then through us to others. When we realize the depths of God's grace in our lives, we can confidently say, I have everything. I am free to give everything. All right, now I mentioned earlier some of the great five great stories from the past about River Heights generosity, but you know, River Heights, the story of River Heights generosity is continuing today. You may have heard about a wonderful family that said, we'd like to give $6,000 as a matching gift to help you right now through the current financial challenge you're going through. We want to encourage other people to give. And so they, they gave that. I want to tell you something, though. We didn't match it. We overmatched it. We gave $8,971, not just six. Isn't that amazing? You did that. 
$14,971 in the matching gift. And then last week, Pete shared that our wonderful pastoral staff is committed to give $4,000 above and beyond their regular giving for the next six months. And our larger leadership group has committed by faith to give $18,000 more. It's awesome. Now I want to encourage the rest of you. Just ask God, what would you like to provide through me? And then let us know. You can let us know. There's a QR code. There's also paper out there. Uh, <clears throat> we would love to have you involved. You know, those campaigns that I talked about, that first remodeling, the first building fund, the three campaigns here, Sue and I have had the privilege of being involved in every one of them. And we have grown. We've grown to experience the love of God and the goodness of God with others. We've seen him do amazing things in our lives. That the first big campaign to buy the property, we made like a large commitment by faith that we did not see how we could make it. And then right after that, our son said, hey, Dad, we're getting married. So we have wedding expenses there. And then our daughter said, oh, we're going to get married too six months later. So we had her expenses. Oh, and then our son said, by the way, I'm going to college next fall, Dad. And we just laughed out loud like, oh, Lord, how in the world are we going to do all of this? We did it all by the grace of God. I still don't know exactly how it all happened. But we put ourselves in God's hands, and he did amazing things. And he wants to do amazing things through you. He wants to reveal himself to you and touch you and bless your life. Can I just say, I'm not talking to you about money just because we as a community have a need. Of course we have a need. Every family has needs. I want the blessing of God on your life more than you could ever imagine. And you, you will experience that blessing as you step, as it were, in the river of generosity that's already flowing, flowing to you wants to flow through you to others. Step in the river with God's people and give and see what God will do. Here's the promise, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. I grew up in a small farming community. I understand this. If you plant just a little, you'll get some, but it'll be a little. But if you plant larger, you'll get more. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or under pressure. Please hear me. We are not pressuring you to do a thing. We are inviting you to look to God and see what does he want to do through your life here. God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Sue and I have experienced that. Many of you have already experienced that. I long that all of you will. So please join us in this wonderful opportunity. You know what? This is, campaign is supposed to start November 1, right? We've already had $12,739 given. It's crazy wonderful. So, yes, I guess, okay to give now. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Sue and I have experienced that over and over and over. We long for that for you. We'd love to have the worship people come back up now. We like to close our services with worshiping and praying. So if you can come on up and... Uh, We'd love to have people who are on our prayer team come on either side and pray for you. Because I know money is stressful. I know there's a lot of pressure around this. And uh, some of you, you say, John, I want to I give. But like I'm in that low spot you talked about. Well, we'd love, to, why don't you just let somebody pray for you, that, for God to bless you and provide for you and encourage you. Uh, maybe you have other needs that you need prayer for. Maybe you have some healing needs. Uh, that uh, you need. We'd love to pray for you for healing, just like those first followers of Jesus were sent out. In fact, as I was praying today for the service, I had a few thoughts 
that I just want to share with you. I think someone or some ones here have been having ear pain. I saw like redness in the ear, like maybe a little bit of early infection. I think God really wants to heal and stop that. Uh, I had this phrase, bones healing slowly. Bones healing is a really good thing. But some of you are experiencing maybe a slow healing of some kind, and it's, you know, you'd like, you'd like it to accelerate a little bit. Well, we'd love to pray for you. Somebody's got breathing challenges. And then I had these three words, foggy brain thinking. You might say, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> well, I do too. Uh, but if that's something you're struggling with right now, I think God wants to touch you and, like, help you with your thoughts. So we'd love to pray for you. Here are some tips to apply this word into your life more. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Luke 12. There are a couple chapters that specifically talk about Jesus' people giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that I find very encouraging. You could read that. Again, that's in the spirit of immersing yourself in the great story of God. And then pray. What could you pray? Well, you could pray all kinds of things, but one thing you could ask is, God, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? I know related to that, there are usually two questions. Well, how much do I give? I'm just going to give you my, what's helped Sue and I over 50 years and many people around the world. We started with giving the first 10%. I was a sprinter in high school, and so I knew you have to have a good start. So that's a good place to start. The other question I'm learning to ask is, how much do I keep? That's also a good question. Because, you know, God, 10 cents is a good start, but, you know, God wants us to grow in generosity. So what's, what's your next step for growing and so on? And then do. Take a step of faith and give to what's important to God. Two things that the Bible highlights is really important to God. Care for the poor and the oppressed and the outsider. That's supremely important to God. Second thing is his church. He loves his people. He loves his people. He loves you. He loves the preaching of the gospel, so those that earn their living through the preaching of the gospel are to be supported by us who benefit, whether it's right here locally, but really all over the world. So I encourage you to think about those things. Lord, we thank you again for your generosity. Lord, these stories of regular, ordinary people here, people that are here even right now and people that have kind of gone on ahead of us, we thank you for your, the way you've worked in and through our lives. You've given us faith. You've given us a desire to be generous. You've worked through our giving to do things that are way beyond what we could imagine. And Lord, you've got great plans for each one of us, plans to free us and bless us, heal us, lead us forward, plans to make us like you, plans to release generosity through us beyond what we can imagine. So, Lord, work in all of us and work in our community. Lord, we bless the Thanksgiving giveaway. Lord, I thank you for Nick at Aldi and Chris at Cub who so want to work with us, want to serve this community with us with food. So we bless them. We pray you help us get the very best prices for everything we're going to give. We pray you provide all the resources so we can bless 500 families and more. We thank you that you have more than enough, that you're never short. You have the wisdom we need. You have the resources we need. You have love to fill every one of our hearts. So let your spirit come and rest on us. Give us your hope. In Jesus' name.
encourage you to come and receive prayer for anything you need.